Welcome to Culture Crux. It's so good to have you tuning in today. We have a, another special guest. Today, we have Patrick Murphy, the discipleship pastor from Christ Community Church in Idaho Falls. Patrick, thank you for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule. Super busy, James. I'm glad I could fit you in. And uh, <laughs> the opportunity is uh, a joy and a blessing. And I get to see you do your, do your thing. This is awesome. I have a question for you, okay. as I do for most of my guests. Why did you want to come in and talk to me? Uh, um, well, if I may pull the curtain back for your listeners, sure. Um, I think James just hounded me. He just kept texting me again and again, and then he sent me like sad <laughs> face emojis. And um, then Tina had to call me and said, "Will you do this for James, please?" That's how it worked. Gary, don't we have a theme on this show? It's yeah. speak the truth in love. Yeah, right. The, the truth. <laughs> oh, the truth. Yeah, sorry. Uh, on that note, yeah, no, great friendship. I agree. I, I, I admire the, I think you're an evangelist. I think you're an encourager. And I think you ask thoughtful questions. And so the idea to be able to navigate what I see as religious diplomacy, you're engaging people with their story and then recognizing when, when do I share the gospel? When is someone ready to hear the good news? What opens their heart and availability to it? So listen to this podcast, it's been great. Religious diplomacy. We'd never thought of that phrase as we talked about this show. I don't want to forget that. It's diplomacy because I think in some place, in some ways, you are you are earning the right to speak into someone's life. Not that the gospel needs the right to speak into life. The gospel is true whether they want to believe it or not. But by showing a great deal of interest, love, desire for that person, you can speak just like the other people you've spoken to. I think Aiden had the, you had the opportunity con to conclude that podcast by sharing the truth that you believe the disciples are willing to die. That's religious diplomacy. You earn that right to be able to share that. I think he's willing to listen. He's going to give the time. I, I like that, that phrase, though, because look at how Scripture describes us. We're foreigners. Mm. Uh, we have citizenship in heaven. Totally. And we're ambassadors of the gospel. What do ambassadors do? They go to other countries with diplomacy right. to share aspects of their homeland. Totally. Yeah, I agree. We're, we're in a foreign land, foreign soil. We have to know where people are at in order for the gospel. And I think Paul does this on Mars Hill when he's speaking to them. He starts it off, hey, you have this tomb to unknow God. Let me share it with you. And so he, he speaks to them through the means that they um, they be familiar with. And I think you're doing that here. You, but you have to first hear someone's story to know how the gospel can fit its way in to an, where's the open door in their life. And that's religious diplomacy in my mind. I didn't coin that, by the way. I got that from, um, I think Mike Gillia says that in his class. Does he really? Yeah, I think he talks about it in some form or fashion. He has a phrase like that in Contrast Brings Clarity. So I got it from him. Well, I don't know if he'll listen to this, but thank you, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. I love Mike. He's awesome. Brother Mike, love it. So you said you had a couple of questions that you wanted to bring well, to the I did. Table. So in listening to this, this isn't a common skill set, I, I think, as most believers. We are called to be evangelists, to go into the world, but we think of like a lot of the Romans road. We think of specific things in which, here's what I do with a non-believer, but some things, sometimes that strikes home and it does a really good job. And, and a formulaic approach has its benefits. I think it's really good, but yeah. I think what you're engaging in is something that doesn't necessarily have a formula. So how do you teach and train someone to investigate? And not, investigate sounds like you're running some, so you're working for the police or something like that. But you're, you are interested in someone's life to a level that you care about them as the image bearer of God. You want to know how God has uniquely shaped them, crafted them, and loves them. And I think you take that approach. But, but I, so the first question that came to mind, how did you develop that skill and desire? 
Because did you have that growing up or no? Well, to kind of jump back to what you were saying a moment ago first, I don't think I'm doing anything different than what a missionary would do. Hmm. The mindset that I find in quite a few people that I have discussions with believers is if they're going to do mission work, they need to go across to another continent. And in order to do that, there's training that's involved. Mm-hmm. They have to learn the language. They have to learn the cultural norms. They have. And Gary and I talked about this a couple podcasts ago uh, when we talked about my friends from the Hollywood Prayer Network, Hollywood Prayer Network, who wrote the book How to Talk About Jesus Without Freaking Out. You go over to Africa and this particular tribe, there's a giant tree mm-hmm. and that's their watering hole. That's where yeah. you learn their system. Here, we've got Starbucks and coffee shops. That's where you learn the cultural norms and you engage with people where they're at. Even if I were to be a missionary in New York, I'm now an Idahoan, even though I was Californian for many years. <laughs> I'm an Idahoan and I have a lot of cultural norms for Idaho. If I go to New York, I'm not going to fit in exactly. It's going to take me time to integrate into that, that culture and the right. way people do things. So one of the things I hope to do is to help people understand that wherever you're at, if you're a cashier, if you're a mailman, if you work on a construction job site, if you work at INL, you're in a mission field and you are in that culture. Totally. Yeah. And the people around you, just as if you're in Africa or, you know, South America in the bush somewhere, you're you're learning the people around you by asking questions right. and engaging. That's all I'm doing. It's, it's nothing new. It's just maybe the mindset of doing it here at home that maybe people don't. In your backyard. Yeah, in your backyard. Recognizing your vocation. So I... I hear you say that. I don't think most people see their job or their vocation as a calling from God, even less the word vocation means. It comes from the Latin vocate, which was only prescribed to the clergy. It wasn't until Martin Luther who said, everyone has a calling, and God has called you in these specific areas. So how do you be a missionary in your backyard? And I think you're doing that well by asking really good questions, because as I listen to some of your podcasts, you can do this on your driveway. Yeah. This can be done. Now winter's coming, so it won't happen on your driveway, and we'll hibernate for a bit, but... This can be done asking simple questions of where people have come from, how did they get to this place, but then asking some point, pointed questions about specifically faith. Why, why, why for you, um, I guess a better way to say it is, what made you comfortable asking someone questions about faith? Are you ever comfortable in doing it, or does your comfort come in asking it? It comes after the fact. I think I'm comfortable around people hmm. in general. Everybody has a common thread in terms of wanting to be validated, wanting to be liked, wanting to be appreciated for who they are. And I think that comes back to the idea that we're all created in God's image and we've been given special gifts and skill sets. And to recognize that in someone else validates their purpose as one of God's creation. I spent a number of years growing up where I didn't fit in. So I learned how to watch people. And that mm. probably helped open the door to my, my entertainment industry background, acting and all that stuff. Yeah. I love people. I just, um, I think there aren't enough people out there who feel loved and valued. And the most important gift in feeling love and valued is knowing that your creator wants to have a relationship with you. I'm, I'm really interested in how you've developed these relationships then. If you do love people, You'll take any opportunity, correct? I mean, it could be you're in line at Taco Bell, you're getting stamps. If you still get stamps, I don't know if you do that. Sometimes. Yeah, okay. Depends on what's printed on them. So how have you learned to discern from the Spirit when it's time to talk? That's a good question. You learn to develop the skill like any skill. 
I've spent time quenching the spirit. I've spent time ignoring God's call in different situations. I'll give you one specific. I was driving down a street in Southern California called Sepulveda Boulevard. And I passed these two guys who looked like thugs. Okay. I, I, I would have just passed them by. Yeah. And I felt this prompting to pull over and pray for them out of nowhere. This is not something that I instigated on my own. Very strong prompting, pull over and pray for those guys. Mm. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, these guys look like they could kill me. Secondly, how random is that for a car to stop in the middle of the street and ask, hey, do you want me to pray for you? So out of fear, I said no. Yeah. But I know that was God prompting me and that's mm. haunted me. Mm. You're looking at 17 years ago. Yeah. One instance driving down the road. Okay. I cannot allow multiple situations to happen where I feel God's prompting me to do something yeah. and I drop the ball. So in dropping that ball, it's lived with you. Do you think that's a teach? So that's what, that was a teaching moment where the For Lord sure. now uses it. Do you still feel guilt about it in the same way? Or is it a different experience when you think back on it? I believe in a God who can do exceedingly more than I can ask or imagine. Yeah, amen. And just because I dropped the ball doesn't mean that God won't call someone else who will say yes. Sure. I missed an opportunity to be a vessel used by God for his purposes. Yeah. I'm sure he called someone else. If those guys lost their salvation because of me, I will not be comfortable for eternity in heaven knowing that that was my fault. We have fault, a bigger God than that. We yeah. do have a bigger yeah, God yeah, than that. Certainly. Uh, so then this, like, that's the, that's the follow-up question that I'm really curious about. Is that prompting common for believers? And do believers just get accustomed to ignoring that prompting? I think we do get accustomed to ignoring the prompting. I think there are so many distractions out there. This, the scripture says to pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean you're constantly, oh Lord, God, help me as I sit in this chair. Please help me as I pick up this cup. But it's that that constant awareness of God's presence. He's omnipresent. Yeah. And that prayerful mindset says every thought, every word, you take every thought captive for sure. Jesus, sure. that's living in a constant state of prayer. I'll give you an example. I don't know if I've told you this story. Back when email legends were being passed out, there was this particular email legend okay. that was being circulated this guy was on his way home from a Bible study where they were studying how to hear God's voice. He's driving home and he feels this, it's like a, not an audible voice, but he feels the, this voice saying, get a gallon of milk. <laughs> so he says, okay. So he pulls over and this little convenience store grabs a gallon of milk and he keeps driving. He's like, God, if this is you, what do I do with the milk? Hmm. Then he feels this prompting leading him down this street into a kind of shady part of town. And this prompting gets him to stop in front of a house in a pretty okay. rundown neighborhood. Okay. All the lights are on in the neighborhood except for this house. The lights are off. And he's like, God, this is insane. Is it really you? I don't know. So he says, if it's you, I'll go to the door and I'll be obedient and I'll hand the milk off. If it's not you, at least you knew I was willing to right. do what I felt like you were calling okay. me to do. So he goes and knocks on the door. Nothing. He's like, okay. He starts to turn and then there's rustling inside the house. A light goes on. The door opens. There's a pretty perturbed looking guy at the door. And behind him, there's a woman holding a baby. The guy sticks the milk forward. He says, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I felt like I was supposed to bring this okay. here. The girl breaks down crying. She says, we've been praying for food for our baby. We have no money, no food. Wow. So wow. he goes back to the store, buys more stuff and takes there. I read that, that email legend and conviction hits me. Okay. What if I go through life and God gives me specific instructions like that? So 
about a week later, I had 50 bucks. And I said to Tina, I'm going to go around. And I'm going to listen for the voice of God. I'm driving around Fresno, California. Mm, beautiful Fresno. Oh, the armpit of California. Yeah, no, so. Bakersfield is the armpit. Let's mm, just clarify. I have another name. For <laughs> so I'm driving around with 50 bucks in my pocket. Okay, God, tell me which street to go down. Tell me which groceries to buy. Tell me what to do, God. Here I am. I'm ready. Okay. I've got 50 bucks. Nothing. I'm, I'm literally driving around for an hour. I even go to the worst part of town, G Street in downtown mm-hmm. Fresno, mm-hmm. where prostitutes and homeless and like nobody. Yeah, is you're out. doing you're doing this to get the prompting. The same thing you read that thing. You're waiting for the spirit to prompt or make something super apparent. That's Absolutely. what you're you're trying to bring the same. I'm telling God it's time to speak to totally, me. Totally right. Yeah, G Street is empty. That never happens. So then I get on the freeway. I start driving home. I'm kind of bummed out. I'm like, God, here I was ready to serve you, and you aren't talking to me. Seriously. And then there's a car pulled over. Yeah. And I was like, yes, I don't feel the prompting, but timing, this is perfect. So I pull over, I get out like a little hero, run up to the car, knock on the window. Hey, you guys need some help. And the guy looks at me, he goes, no, I just pulled over to use my cell phone. I was like, <laughs> okay, thank you. I can Have picture it so well. Yeah, I was yeah. so humiliated. I get back in my car, I'm driving home. I get to this light about four blocks from the house. And mm-hmm. it's one of those churches that always has the catchphrase, the marquee, you know, something witty. Something getting attention. Yeah. yeah. And we're talking, when was this? Late 90s. Okay. Late 90s. So Jesus Take the Wheel was not a song at the time. Not I just yet. want to clarify at the time. Okay. I'm at the red light. I look up at this marquee and realize I've been driving now for about an hour and a half. It says, why not pull over and let Jesus drive? When I read the word drive the seatbelt on the passenger side became dislodged and retracted the rest of the way. How? How after an hour and a half of driving was it not all the way retracted? How was it? I, why not pull over and let Jesus drive? And it Wait, goes so back. so you had a passenger seat buckled and it unbuckled? No, it, no, no, oh, it, it wasn't just buckled. Wasn't, it was oh, like it was loose. lodged. I got you. Okay. Yeah, so okay. it wasn't all the way retracted. Totally. No, I didn't have it latched yeah, shut. <laughs> it clicked. It re- no. That's how the run cords do. <laughs> That's yeah. how we roll. Yeah. But it... It was like over the shoulder of the back of the seat, right? Okay. And as soon as I read that, why not pull over and let Jesus drive? It retracted the rest of the way. I jumped. I still get goosebumps to this day thinking about that. Yeah. And so it spoke to me. Why am I taking the wheel? Why am I calling the shots for God? He has spoken to me. It's called the 66 canonized books of scripture. He does speak to me if I get into the word and read it. So I go home and I tell Tina about this whole thing. I'm sorry, babe, I wasted this whole hour and a half just driving around. God didn't talk yep, to me, but yep. I saw this marquee and it said this thing and the seatbelt retracted. I told her the whole thing. Later that night, it was date night. Most of you probably won't understand this, but we went to this place called Blockbuster. They had these video cassette things <laughs> that you'd rent, it, but it was right across the street from that church. Yeah. I showed her the sign. I said, see, that's what happened. That's where the seatbelt thing. And as soon as I showed her that, There's a knock at the window. Really? And there's this young lady standing there. And she said, can I have some money for my kid? No way. We need some food. I, I said, "That's cool." do you mind if I at least, you know, see the kid? I just, it was getting dark and I, I didn't want to get scammed. Sure. But I walk over sure. to the car. There's a guy sitting there kind of embarrassed in the okay. passenger side. There's a little baby, probably mm. two years old in a car seat. Mm. So I had the 50 bucks. We went and got him food and diapers and stuff. That's and awesome. The lesson I learned... I don't call the shots with God, but I always need to be ready. Be respond to it. I mean, that's a great example of that point that it can happen in many different ways. 
but are you attuned to the spirit to recognize the leading? Now you tried to prompt it. Oh, I was telling, it, I was, I was calling the shots. Yeah, you were, you're prompting it. So how, that, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing you were trying to do, but what was bad about the method? Like it, bad is probably too strong of a word. Obviously trying to control it, but what led you to think that that was the way you had to do it? I, I read that legend and, and I wanted to experience it myself. Mm. But God gives each and every one of us the opportunity to experience yeah. that. If we walk in a spirit, it's just keep in step with the spirit. Amen. You keep in step with the spirit. You're not going to always feel that prompting every moment, but you're going to be led by your words and the conversations you have with yeah. people. It yeah. isn't all going to be about what can I get out of this? It's going to be, what can I give to you? How can I, how can I be the salt and light to you in right. this conversation that we have right now? Because every moment is a gift. You don't know if you're going to live five more minutes, but sure. you're alive right now. Sure. You've got this moment. Be the best steward of this moment and of this conversation that you can. I think it's a great way. And I, even if you, there seem, it seems to be that the first part of that story, you're trying to access a power and the joy that that power gives. Right. Not remembering that that power is actually a person. Yeah. And so we look at the Holy Spirit as some power that we have to tap into and find access force. to some force, yeah. but the Holy Spirit is a person. Yeah. It has he, he has a will, he has a mind, he has a desire. Oh yeah. He's a comforter. Scripture says and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve 100%. him. 100%. And so I think we misappropriate just tapping into a power and experience when it's actually the way we access that joy is through the relationship. Relationship, that's it. So the same way I'm relating to non-believers, I need to relate to the Spirit. Yep. Drawing upon him, Father, where it is. Spirit, how will you guide me today? Help me to recognize where you're at. Give me a discernment in my spirit to know where your direction is leading, what conversation I need to have. And and here's another another little point that I'm doing. Mm. I don't consider myself an expert by any means. I don't feel like I have the answers to all these guests who come in, but I know God does. And I, I can guarantee you, when I'm sitting across the table from them, I am constantly praying, Holy Spirit, give me the Amen. words. Please give me the opportunity. Yeah. It's all yours, God. Yeah, John, what did Jesus tell the disciples? The Spirit will bring to remembrance everything that I've taught you. So I definitely have stepped into certain situations totally unprepared. But through the power of the Spirit and dependence upon him, I knew what to say. It, the, the Lord gave me the clarity of questions to ask or stories to share, but more importantly, the recognition of where they're at. Because I think that's what, isn't that what you're trying to do in hearing their story is developing a, a clear idea of what aspect of the gospel is most pertinent to their life? Yeah. That's it. Okay. That's my hope. And the other thing is viewing that, the, the metaphor of the chain, you know, mm -hmm. from the time the seed is first planted all the way until the point that the harvest. they, yeah. yeah. Where am I in that chain? I just need to be faithful with the truth that I'm speaking into their life at this moment. I think that's a great recognition that I am a part of the plan. I am not the conclusion of it. And very rarely are we. God is the instigator and the conclusion of the plan. Yeah, yeah. By him and for him are we saved. I think that's awesome. What do you see being a pastor in a church, likewise for myself, as something that our congregants tend to miss when it comes to evangelism? or maybe they overemphasize some aspect. Well, we have the Billy Graham uh, or, or the Will Graham celebration coming up in yeah. September of 2023. And I think a misconception from congregants is that that is the evangelistic event. And I think you've shared with me what you try to instill in, in the people at Christ Community yeah. Church is you are the event totally. because Christ is using you, the Holy Spirit is using you in each of the Amen. interactions you have throughout the week. So this is a great event. It's a great event for several reasons. It's a kingdom building opportunity 
for the churches to come together right. with a unified purpose of the gospel. But it's also an opportunity to have our congregants equipped even more Absolutely. to engage with people. Yeah. We don't, I don't know that we're intentional enough with that as often as we should be. Advocating that you are the event, you are the one, you're the evangelistic model. Correct. And equipping them to do so. Absolutely. So what do you think the role of an evangelist is in a church then? Because if, if, if someone's been gifted with the gift of evangelism, seems to be one of the, the leaders of the church, um, are they the ones doing it? But if, if it's everybody, what role does the evangelist have in play? So everyone can evangelize, but there are people who, so like at home, I can cook, but Tina's gifted. Yeah, right, right. So I can do it. Sure. And it doesn't mean our family's lacking in a meal, but if she does it, it's just so it's much just, more awesome. It's sweeter. Yeah, yeah. you can recognize yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Right, and if someone has the gift of evangelism, you hear you hear them share the gospel, and you're like, "Wow, yes!" Mm-hmm. But that should be an inspiration to everyone else because you also can share the gospel. You also can evangelize. Sure, I see the evangelist in addition to the the ability to do it probably comes easier, more naturally. But I also see they have a secondary role that they're the equippers. Yeah, they're the ones to take the body and equip them with the ability because if that in Ephesians 4 is it looks that to equip the body for the work of ministry all right. right so then that evangelist has a responsibility to sit in a place of leadership training and equipping of showing another how to do it and i think you're doing that with this just modeling and i think things are caught not necessarily taught right they're better that way so i think yeah. you're doing a great job i love listening thoughtful questions and I think it models a lot of what Jesus does in the gospel. B.B. Warfield wrote a great article called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. I'd encourage anybody to read it. It's a short little article. But he, he outlines the emotive responses of Christ. And the number one emotive response is compassion hmm. to the people around him. And so if we're going to be Christians in modeling becoming Christ-like, we ought to model the compassion he had for those around him who were in darkness. So we think everybody's a Pharisee. They're not. He, he spoke to the religious leaders, um, diverting people away to a false religious reality, false way for salvation. But to those who didn't know it, who weren't in the Pharisaical world or realm, he showed great compassion to them. And a compassion is, is empathy with action in my mind. Yeah. It's empathy. Yes, you feel it, but you're doing something about it. You're reaching out, whether it's sharing the gospel, sharing a parable, Meeting someone, very basic needs, 50 bucks, or milk at the front door, um, all the way up to willing to have a hospitality of heart where that person is allowed to take up residence in your heart and you care for them. You care about their story, and I think you're doing a great job doing that. I love listening. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it, Patrick, and look forward to having you back sometime you soon. Bet, uh, and to all our listeners, we love you. We hope this show helps to equip you and to compel and promote you to take action with your gospel diplomacy. There we go. God bless you.